0: Welcome to the Curiosity Cured the Kate podcast. I'm your host, Kate Sahalis. I'm very excited to share today's conversation because it couldn't be more timely. As parents grapple with the decision of whether or not to send their kids back to school, thousands of dedicated teachers around the world are wondering how they can possibly show up to do their jobs. Teachers are natural problem solvers and committed professionals, but they're dealing with their own fears, anxieties, and unanswered questions as we embark on this new school year. My guest today is not only a phenomenal educator, she is also an outstanding human being and someone I'm proud to call my mentor and friend. I really hope you enjoy today's conversation. Thanks so much for listening. someone who holds a very special place in my heart. She was my mentor during a particularly challenging period of my life. She also happens to be a remarkable teacher who will surely teach us all a great deal in this conversation. With that, I am thrilled to welcome Eileen Morton to the show. Thanks for being here, Eileen. Thanks for inviting me. Oh my gosh, anytime. The problem is going to be I have so much to ask you. <laughs> I'll try to answer you. <laughs> I know you will. I know you will. So I've already mentioned that you were my mentor, but can you get a little more specific about how we know each other and then tell the listeners about your day-to-day pre-COVID?
1: So, so we met um, at school and I was very fortunate to have you as a paraprofessional in my classroom um mm-hmm. I knew as uh, soon as I met you that you were definitely not going to remain a paraprofessional that you would had more so much more going on and I was right because you were in school at that point point. and um yeah. one of the funny things I remember about when I first met you we so we had worked together for a couple months now and the students were out of the room they must have been a gym or something and you said to me one day do you ever work with student teachers and I said, well, I've got the training, but no, I'd never do it because I'm too much of a control freak. Do you remember this?
0: <laughs> yes, I do. And I was like, oh shit.
1: Yeah, there was like a dead silence for a couple of minutes. And then I was like, wait a minute, are we talking about you? <laughs> <laughs> and you were like, yeah. And I go, oh, I would totally be your cooperating teacher. So I think that's when we really started to, we really bonded because we had a tough group that year.
0: Well, I remember when you agreed to to do it and I told everybody that I was going to be working with you and they were like you do know what group you're getting right <laughs> <laughs> and I was like because at this point they were third graders but they were pretty no- notorious from the time they were kindergartners yep and uh and I said yes I said if I can handle that group then I can do this job <laughs>
1: because I remember even having that conversation with you as it got closer to the start, your start date. I was like, are you sure? Because this group, they're not that much (laughs) fun. No. And you said, you know, how many years have you been teaching now? Uh, I will be starting my 19th this, this August.
0: Okay. So out of, you know, your classes, where would you say they rank in terms of challenging? Uh, they were one of my
1: two most challenging. Yep. And I know I told you numerous times that year I could not have made it through this year without you. So, and then you filled in the following year when I broke my ankle. You took over.
0: That was, yeah, that was a nightmare. (laughs) Because I thought, oh, this group has got to be easier. But the difference was that I didn't have the relationship with them that I did with the previous group. Because the previous group, remember... I was a para with them for the first half of the year. And then I student taught the second half of the year. Yeah. And I already knew them from, you know, when they were first graders, I worked with them. That's
1: what we met. And we really bonded.
0: We did. Over that. We did.
1: And since then, numerous cups of Starbucks coffee have, have cemented <laughs> our relationship.
0: I think I drank more coffee that year than ever. And I drank a pretty good amount of coffee. All right. So that's a little bit about our background. So can you tell the listeners what things looked like for you, um, you know, back before we went to shutdown?
1: This school year was fabulous. I had a fabulous class, maybe one of my favorites of all time. And, uh, and I told them that every day. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, so being a teacher, Uh, The best analogy I can use is from the minute it starts in August until it ends in June, you are running a marathon. And primary concern is always my students, my colleagues and my, the parents of my students. So that's definitely, you know, something you're carrying with you as you start this, this run. Yeah. And then the district starts piling stuff in that may or may not be helpful to you. So my day was packed. I would get up, really early in the morning because there's certain things that, um, that I need to do so that I can be an effective teacher and a decent person. And one of them is to walk every morning. Um, and I also attend, uh, almost daily mass. So I get up very early. I'm usually at school a little before eight. And then your day is just, you're on, you're on stage, you're with the kids, you're busy the whole day. Um, I work through lunch every single day and have for all of my years, pretty much. Yeah, you did. Um, when I don't work through lunch, it's because I have invited students into my classroom. That's a way for me to get to know them better, and to yeah. uh, just build that kind of personal rapport with them that I think is so important in our in our education, in their education. So, absolutely. Um, I'm pretty. Um, I try to be pretty tough with myself that I don't stay too late because you could stay till seven or eight or nine o'clock every single night and never still never be caught up. So I try to leave by 430 or five. And I try to keep up with my work at school. I do not like to work at home. So that was pretty much my day.
0: Yeah, I feel like that you really modeled that for me. And I wish I could have done better at executing it. (laughs) Um, because you told me from the start, this job will take everything you have. So you have to set boundaries.
1: I honestly don't know, Kate, how men and women who have families and other bigger responsibilities when they get home handle their, this job. I don't know how they do it. I know because I don't have children. I don't have a husband. I come home to a cat and a dog and they're very low maintenance. <laughs> I don't know how you have the time. Or I don't think I would have had the patience for either my students or my own children. So I think for me, being a teacher, um, it fills a very big void in my life because I don't have children. So I have all that patience, I hope, and love in my heart that I can give to my students. I don't know if I would be there if I had my own children. I have so much admiration for those teachers who can do both. So.
0: So do I. I mean, that's why I left. Because I just, I couldn't, I mean, when we met, so this was 2016 school year. Well, that's not when we met, but that's when I student taught. And at the time, I was doing grad school, as so was my husband. We were both student teaching in the same year. And our kids were, let's think, they were, I think Scarlett was a fourth grader.
1: I think she might have been in third when you student talk, because I remember her sitting in our meetings sometimes.
0: But she was a year ahead of that group. So she was a fourth grader, and then Logan was a sixth grader. So that was that was a lot. That was a lot going on that year.
1: I, I never knew. I, I was flawed by the amount of stuff you were doing.
0: Yeah, I can't really. I kept stupid hours. I did, I counted, and I did 118 papers over that two years that I was in grad school. It was, it was awful. (laughs) (laughs) But you, you made it better. You were, I couldn't have done it if it weren't for you. Well, you you definitely
1: saved me that (laughs)
0: year. Well, we saved each other. So once, okay, so March 13th, I think is when our district shut down, right? Okay. So can you tell me about what that immediate period was like for you?
1: The day we shut down was just like, um, it was insane. We were just trying to get things in the kids' hands to, before they left. And it was a half day because we had conferences that week, so they were leaving early. So, and we, we thought right. it was for two weeks. So mm-hmm. the first week, so that day was just total people just running around. It was chaos, but we had um, everything in the kids' hands that they needed when they left. They had a Chromebook and they had like a week and a half, two weeks worth of paper to, you know, worksheets to fill out. And during that two-week time, um, about a week into it, we found out from the district that we were going to be teaching online. I don't know what made me more frightened. The, the, the virus? or the idea that I had to teach online because I am not very proficient (laughs) in technology. So I was very stressed out about that. But on the flip side, I was very, very blessed with my colleagues. Um, My two third grade colleagues were amazing. And immediately we started meeting every day in Google meets and they basically held my hand through the whole thing. They got me, helped me get the classroom set up. And um, in the meantime, our, our third grade, A special ed teacher joined our Google Meets every morning. So there was four of us now meeting every morning. We met every morning through the duration of the whole, the rest of the school year, um, every weekday. We met at nine o'clock. And um, so the four of us, and eventually a second grade teacher joined us. So there was five of us. In the beginning, it was very, uh, it was a lot of work because they were just, we were just trying to get stuff up, understand what we would do um, and make sure everything worked right for the kids. So there were glitches, but uh, I think for the most part, we did okay. Once we got up and running, I'd say by the middle of April, I felt pretty comfortable with what I was doing. Um, I started to really enjoy it because I learned so much. Uh, I feel like I'll be be able to to work with my kids next year with anything with technology. I'm way more confident. Um, And I I really liked the whole being at home thing, which I never thought I would like because I did not think I was – disciplined enough to sit in front of a computer for hours but I actually am <laughs> and I I loved the idea you know I could get up later nothing was happening there was nothing was open so I would get up and go for really long walks with my dog before I met with my colleagues because there was you know there was no mess. there was nothing else it was just get up and walk the dog yeah so uh and it was that time of year that you really could it wasn't so hot so it was it was kind of, once I got used to it, I really liked
0: it. Well, I remember calling you, I don't know how many weeks into it it was, but I was really worried about you because I know how tech hesitant you, you always were. And I also know how much you love being around the kids. So I was like, she must be losing her mind. And you were like, I'm doing okay.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And it, it was really, it was really because of the, my colleagues, they were, unbelievable. There was one point right before we like went live with the kids that I couldn't get something to work and it was like a Sunday afternoon and I had promised them I wasn't going to bother them anymore and I couldn't get something working and I was I just texted them and my colleague Jill just said call me and I got on the phone with her and she just talked me through it and I mean they were like that the whole time with me. They were just amazing. We were lucky because we had um, a younger teacher on our team. We had two younger teachers and um, had very she really knew Google Classroom, and our special ed teacher didn't know as much, but she learned it so quick' she was like you know twenty six years old so um yeah they were they were so helpful all the time they were we were so lucky to be working with them
0: well that you know the school that you're at has such an amazing team, so I'm not surprised yeah, and
1: that's i think goes to the core of of being a good teacher is if you can't collaborate and work with your colleagues you're really, you're not going to survive in this, in, in our environment. No, I always make it a priority that my team, you are there for them and hopefully they're there for you, which they definitely were. But I try to always make myself available to my team. And we were a new team this year. this the three of us working together. We had never worked together before as a grade level team. And um, we really bonded <laughs> over this. I can tell you.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I, that's, I left, I left teaching, I think it was five weeks before things shut down. So I thought about my team that whole time and felt a horrendous amount of guilt.
1: <laughs> nah, you, you, you made a good choice, I think. <clears throat> uh, even when you were a student yeah. teacher, I remember thinking, and I know I didn't tell you this now, I remember thinking <laughs> school, being a classroom teacher is going to be too confining for Kate. She's going to need to use her energies and her creativity, and this is going to be too confining. So I think you made a really That's good decision for yourself, for your family, and, and for your talents.
0: Thank you, Eileen. I, I think I did, too. I, I feel that in my heart. Um, but I think because I believe so much in what you're saying about collaboration and just, you know, your commitment to the kids and their parents, that decision was definitely one of the hardest of my life.
1: The hardest thing for me, I think when i the day comes that I do retire will be obviously leaving the kids, but leaving my colleagues I mean the colleague, the people I work with um they're they're amazing there's not a teacher in that building that i wouldn't that I'm not amazed with every day. so when you actually asked me to be a cooperating teacher, I was so dumbfounded because I know you'd been in a lot of rooms and I thought she picked me out of all these teachers. I was so honored oh. <laughs> that you chose me because I thought, there's just so many amazing teachers in this building.
0: Yeah, there there are.
1: Especially the, have been around for a little bit, do take on student teachers.
0: So- yeah. Well, I think I told you, it was Zach who said to me, because he got to know you before I did. And he said, Eileen would be the perfect mentor for you. And I and then I got to work in your class as a para, and I was like, "Oh man, you're right! Like, she's she's the one I need." <laughs> well, it, we both have
1: that New England, New York New Jersey sort of
0: <laughs> outlook on life. Yes, I think that's what solidified it. Yeah, the sense of yeah, humor absolutely, matches up. absolutely. So, so right now it's August first. Just hard to believe. Um, school will be starting in a few short weeks, and there are some very strong feelings about whether or not we should be returning to schools. And I understand the arguments on both sides. It's an incredibly multifaceted problem with no easy answers. And I don't envy anyone who has been charged with tackling this. Um, However, I don't believe that we're hearing enough from actual teachers, the people who are up at night thinking about their specific classroom spaces their real-life students, and their particular schedule demands. So for the sake of this conversation, we're not going to debate whether or not we should go back. Instead, I want to explore with you um, as an actual third-grade teacher what you're contending with as you imagine reentry. Because I guarantee that the situations you're trying to problem-solve aren't even on the radar for most people. So I kind of want to walk through like an average day and we can start to pick apart what that normally looks like and how that would need to be redesigned. Does that sound good? Yeah.
1: So if you think about a normal day at our school, um, the kids come in and come into the classroom and unpack. Well, that's that's the first thing that has to change because they can't all be squished into this little cubby area. So that's going to have to be thought about. Um, and then they come in and they have breakfast. Um, so mm-hmm. them coming in, finding their seats, keeping them apart, just, you know, for all those kind of things, throwing away garbage and, and they want to greet each other. And so keeping them socially distanced is going to, going to be a challenge.
0: So can you tell me, because I have it in my brain, cause I was in your room for two years. Can you just sort of describe the, what your, the, your, the physical space in your room looks like right now because you talked about the cubbies
1: so we have cubbies and then we have a counter and then we have the classroom so our classroom is large but it seems small it has less space than usable space because we have a counter that sort of cuts a piece of the classroom off so and I have tables right now my students all sit at tables well I think they're going to all be taken away from me I think the kids are all going to be at desks which makes me really sad because my room was always one where kids could move around at will. I mean, unless I was in the middle of teaching mm-hmm. a lesson, they had clipboards. They we had lap desks. They had we had tables that could move around. They didn't have to stay in one spot. I don't know that yeah. I'll be allowed to let, allow that anymore.
0: And i I feel like this is worth talking about because the way we went to school was desks in rows, and that is absolutely what districts do not want you to do right now. Like if you walk into a room with desks with, with rows, there's a big question of what you're doing. Cause that means you're not doing enough group work. That means they're not collaborating. That means they can't move around. So that ha- is huge. Now think also about the
1: students that are coming in. They've been not in a traditional classroom since March 13th. And now you're going to bring them back in in August and say, not only are we back in a traditional classroom, we're back in a traditional classroom where you are going to <laughs> yeah. close and you are not going to get up without permission. It's going to be like when right. I went to school 40 years ago.
0: You just have to pretend you're one of the nuns. <laughs>
1: right? yep. Without the physical abuse, of course. <laughs> right, of course. Yeah. So I'm concerned about that because I'm eight or nine years old. I don't want to sit in a chair all day. Yeah. So yeah. I am concerned about that. I feel like that is going to be very, very difficult for a lot of children to do. And it would, you know, what? Honestly, it would be difficult for me to do it at, at my age if someone told me I had to sit at a desk all day and couldn't move. I don't think I could do it. So no. I'm asking an eight or a nine year old to do that. So I'm concerned about that.
0: Can we talk about the temp- The temperature in your room?
1: And the temperature is gonna. It's hot. No AC. It's
0: hot as hell.
1: Yeah. So that's going to be a challenge.
0: Well, they complain. I mean, I know how hot your room gets. And as somebody that doesn't tolerate the heat well, it would drive me insane. And especially your side of the building, I think, is hotter than the other side. Although every room feels hot. <laughs>
1: By the afternoon, it's very hot in our rooms on up, upstairs. Yes. So that, that's going to be a challenge. Although hopefully that won't last too long because it, it, it will cool off. You know, fall will come.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Eventually. Do you think that they'll be able to keep masks on?
1: I, yeah, I don't know. That might be, and that's not something I want to have to, um, you know, with, with children, you want to really pick your battles and it's gotta be worth it. A a lot of things you have to let slide because they're eight, but, um, I don't know, you know, is that going to be the battle I have to fight this year?
0: Well, I think, I think so. You know, be, between that and hand washing as well, so I mean it, they get they get into class, and at your school, generally the buses are somewhat staggered, so kids are coming they're they're all mostly there by eight fifty right Yes, that's when the day starts, okay, and then they have breakfast, and when when some of your kids are having breakfast, what are the other kids doing? Oh,
1: they're all working they're they have some kind of uh, last year we had a journal that they wrote in every day. So they would choose what they wanted to write about. I had a choice of questions in the back. Every week there was five questions. And they would, um, they would do that most days. We had a couple other things we did um, towards the end of the week. But three days of the week they wrote in their journal. So they could, they could still do that. But again, you have to watch if they're not congregating back there to pick up their things. So if they're back to having desks, they'll probably have more things in their desks. Then they won't have to go pick them up.
0: Well and in previous years you did stations as well, right? Where they would come in and they got to choose something that was more um free form. Yeah, we will be doing that. Like Legos or drawing. They're not
1: I don't think the students are gonna be allowed to use anything that they share. So let the Legos won't be used this year.
0: Or puzzles or crayons. We're not allowed to share our books. Yeah. So I don't know yeah. what
1: the, the students are gonna do when they're done with the work. They always just took a book out. So that's a question mark for me. What a, You know, what am I going to come up with? Because I certainly don't want to encourage more time on the devices, but that's what it's – they may be reading on their devices.
0: So, I mean, every year a classroom teacher's schedule changes, but let's pretend you're using last year's schedule. So what would be the next part of your day, and, and how would you normally have done it? So
1: I think last year the, the children went to – special in the morning some mornings so then we would walk them to their special and they would be in a different environment and I would go back to my room and work sometimes with my colleagues sometimes independently that may change because I think there's there's a question about if the children will be going leaving the room or if the teacher will just be coming in
0: the special That's teacher. a
1: huge problem for me and they're also saying the children will be eating lunch in the classroom. Both of those things are problems for me because how where am I supposed to go to do my work now? If the children are in my classroom being taught by another teacher, mm-hmm. you can't stay there and work because it's it's loud and they'll be coming to you constantly. So I hope the school is thinking about where our teachers going to go to go work. I mean, I could take my Chromebook with me so I can still work, but where are we going to be working?
0: And I don't think that most non-teachers understand what that prep period means. So, you know, by the time you get your kids to and from special, you have, I mean, I generally had maybe 35 minutes and it, in that time, I would try to go to the bathroom (laughs) And I would be making a million copies. I would be checking my email and dealing with generally fires that needed to be put out. So whether it was a parent phone call, email, or the school social worker would catch you, or your principal would need to meet with you about something. Or at my school, we had all of our um, PPTs. So our special ed meet parent meetings for people that aren't in education, those were during our prep Oh,
1: that's that's not the case in our building.
0: I know, because I remember you were serious about that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, and the special ed teacher that I work with currently is very um, cognizant of that. She tries never to do that. And if they do, they actually give you a different planning period.
0: Well, I remember, but every other school I've been at since then they schedule them during your prep. One, one week, I lost three prep periods. So so that time, and you really need to be in your room during that time because you might be cleaning things up, especially now.
1: That and the, the kids eating lunch in the room because I always use my lunch time as checking work. Usually that's my checked homework. I always ate lunch in my classroom unless I had children in there visiting with me as a way to get Mm -hmm. to know them better so that's I can't do that this year if the kids are all in there that's not one-on-one time with those children so I'm a little distressed about that and I'm also where am I supposed to eat lunch then a lot of teachers go into into the teacher the faculty room and they eat together and it's a social time for them I really don't rarely do that because I need the quiet
0: yeah I don't think I ever saw you in the teacher's room not too often no No, you you needed to um, either meet with kids because you often did or you would just kind of catch your breath. And I get that. (laughs) I definitely get that. So even though I'm not teaching anymore, I've actually been having nightmares about having. (laughs) About having to line kids up specifically, like in a socially distanced manner. And everything goes to shit within a matter of seconds in my dream. So like they're they're pushing each other out of line or they're arguing, you know, face to face. They've got their hands on each other and no one's following spacing and guidelines. And I like go into a panic.
1: I think we're going to have to have it labeled on the floor. That's what I'm thinking, where they can stand. But how are you going to fit that many?
0: Well, I think they'll be bent around the room. <laughs> it won't be a straight line. No, it couldn't be. I mean, I th- that's the kind of thing. And then you're going to not be able to see the front of your line, like if they're so far spaced out.
1: But I don't know that I'll be taking them really anywhere other than probably PE, which they're hoping in the beginning of the year at least will be outside.
0: So the next question that I want to talk about is, well, we'll take a break from the schedule for a second. I want to talk about physical touch. So it's something that's rarely discussed. And it's a sensitive topic because as a society, we're very afraid of overstepping any boundaries, you know, rightfully so. And I think that teachers need to be incredibly careful about physical interactions with students. And some teachers are completely hands-off and others are more affectionate. So you and I are definitely magnets for students who need hugs. (laughs) And, you know, kids who are desperate for a safe, loving physical connection with a trusted adult, even if it's just a quick hug or a touch to the arm or a pat on the head, you know, a lot of kids don't get this from their parents and they really need it. So how is this going to impact your teaching style with social distancing? Well,
1: honestly, Kate, this probably worries me more than anything because I keep thinking about some of my students from Leonard and how they would just so affectionate. I mean, they would bombard me. They'd walk in the room and they would be, you know, hugging me. So I don't know how you tell, I'm going to have to, but I don't know how you tell an eight-year-old step back, you know? So I am, I am concerned about that because we do have a lot of social and emotional needs in our school, all schools do, but our kids today often look for that structure that they don't have at home is provided for them we provide it for them we provide that nurturing sort of environment that's maybe lacking at home so um, we'll have to find a different way to make that connection but you, you can't it's not even going to be smiling at them because your face is going to be covered so i am i'm concerned about how i'm going to make a deep connection with my students and i really want to try to connect with them quickly this year because my fear is that we will be back in distance learning Rather quickly.
0: Yeah. I think everybody's concerned about
1: that.
0: Well, I think about a particular student that we had who was very volatile. And she would go from zero to 60 in a heartbeat. And somewhere along the line, you realized that the moment she started to amp up, you would just pull her in for a hug and say, oh, you're fine. You know, don't get upset about that. And she would cuddle into you or hold your hand and then she could move on any other response from you would create like a volcanic eruption for, and certainly for anyone other than you or me. And I think that this is really important for people to understand because every kid is different, but for some kids, if you don't respond to them in that way, they'll, they fly off the rails. And I mean, she, she would. Yeah. Yeah. She
1: had a huge problem the first time they did a lockdown because she wasn't with us. She was in a special, yes, and she was screaming I remember, in there. I remember. And all she really needed was the teacher to say, "Sit by, a bit, sit next to me," and, yeah, and that's put what their arm do, around right? her. And because that's what we did with her, Kate, and she was fine. Yeah, yeah. but she needed that. She was scared. But she always put she on that scared. tough girl persona. But she wasn't a tough girl. She was scared. So,
0: and that's what most people didn't didn't know about her. And you picked up on it. But she would turn into a different person, you know, when you did that. So many people never saw that side of her. But if you hadn't given her that that regular affection, you never could have taught her. You just couldn't because she was unable to to connect with people who couldn't do that. But I mean, that's, you know, I, le- I saw that in you right away. And that's always how I taught. And I mean... My kids would would attack me in the morning with with hugs, and um, you know, I I always try I, I wouldn't give hugs, but I would receive. You know, I would give them if they gave one to me, and um, and there were certain kids that like they couldn't leave the day without just being near me, and you know, and I remember with the littler ones during lockdown, I because I was a para and I was in a lot of rooms there were other teachers who the kids would literally crawl into their lap because they were so scared. And of course, here you are and you, you need to keep them quiet. Like that's, There's, there's going to be a policeman listening at the door to see whose classes are quiet. And the only way sometimes you could do that was to keep them close and make them feel safe. And, I mean, that alone, right, Eileen? We're not going to be able to do lockdown drills. Well, I don't, yeah, I don't think they could even do them because how would we? We we couldn't. We were on top of each other. No. Or fire drills. What, yeah. 300 kids pouring out of the building at the same time? I don't yeah. think you can do it. No, there, there's No, there's no possible way that we could do it and socially distance. So that's another thing.
1: Well, the other thing I think oh. I don't know if anybody's thought about, but that I've thought about, is substitute
0: teachers. Oh, I've thought about it. We can't get them on the best of days.
1: Yeah, so why would anybody sub for whatever, I don't know what pittance they pay them,
0: but... I think it's 80 or $90 a day. You're worried about your health.
1: Kids are probably, hopefully not, but kids may be stressed about this whole thing.
0: Oh, they. I think they are. Obviously... I think you have to be realistic that teachers are going to be calling out. Yeah, of course they are. And I mean, let's talk about that for a second. How many kids do you know are sent to school sick? I mean, I remember in in your class and every class I've been in, you know the kids so well and you can just look at them and be like that kid that kid needs to go home. <laughs> I could see it all over their face. And I and I feel for parents because some parents don't feel that they have any other option. You know, it's like either I get fired. It's, I mean, there's, there's, no, there's no good option there. But if, if we're expecting kids not to come to school sick, then we're, we're being completely ignorant. Well, I think the plan is that they're going to get
1: the temperature taken as they come in the door. And I think Oz is as well. So you can come in one day with a fever that has nothing to do with COVID and you, you might be sent home.
0: Oh, yeah, I think you definitely would be. And, you know, <laughs> with with kids, like, they're just snotty all the time. <laughs> they're always, like, sneezing on things and wiping their nastiness all over. We kind of get used to that. But it's going to be a lot harder <laughs> to not notice those things. Yeah, I know. I mean, we've all had a kid throw up in our classroom. Or yeah, it's it's terrible. It's terrible. And you know, we've all had kids like sneeze in our face. Yeah. And yeah. this is gonna be and cry a on lot us. Lot more challenging. Oh, cry on us. Yeah. Definitely. I don't know how I don't know how I can look at a child
1: crying and not at least pat their back. I know. You know, to be that far away from them and just say get it together. I don't know. So that <laughs> those kind of things will be That'll be hard for me, that part. Well, I think that will be the hardest part for me.
0: Yeah, that's if I were if I were going back to the classroom in the fall, that's what I'd be struggling with the most. I mean, because I'm I, I thought of it every day since I left, you know, how would I be connecting with my students? And if I were to go back and I couldn't comfort them comfort them or, or even just when they're struggling with a problem, you know, you get right next to them and try to help them. Or they sit right next to you at your desk. We we wouldn't be able to do that. What about behavior? I feel like
1: first of all, having them sit in one spot all day is gonna create it's gonna create behavior that's gonna create behavioral problems because it, When you can't move, that's a release, for, especially for, um, well, boys and girls alike. They just need to move. So I think that's going to create some stress for them, being stuck on a desk. And then, again, as we've already kind of highlighted, not being able to have that direct contact, the pat on the back, or being close, telling them to come and talk to you, you're going to be out in the hall, and you're supposed to be staying six feet apart to, to what, discuss a problem that when you... I don't know. I don't know how you solve those problems and maintain I don't know. a good relationship with that child.
0: And what about the kids that will choose or their families will choose to keep them home? I mean, have you kind of thought about how you're going to meet the needs of your kids in person as well as virtually? We haven't
1: heard anything yet about what, what our district's doing as far as that, so I don't know if I don't know if that'll be a separate classroom with maybe with teachers who are have some kind of um,
0: health reason why they can't return or I'm not sure how that's all going to
1: break down.
0: But I think I think you're not alone in that. I think a lot of teachers are wondering, but we've only got weeks. (laughs) So there's just there's so many things to consider. And I just hope that the teachers are going to be heard. And and the cafeteria workers and the custodial staff, you know, and the paras, I mean, as a para, you're you're often extremely hands-on, and in if there's a physical rooms. limitation. Yeah. right. Oh yeah, absolutely. So I don't but know if what... you're a
1: one-to-one, Yeah, I don't know how that's going to work either, and if you're a one-to-one, you're usually
0: sitting right next to that child.: Yes. Yes. And sometimes you need to help them with, you know, physical tasks as well. Well, all those things
1: I'm not sure how we're going to handle, you know, like math manipulatives, pencils.
0: They can't share any of those things anymore. Do you, I mean, when you teach math, so when I think about you teaching math, you teach math just the way I teach math or taught math because I I modeled it after you. Because you impressed me so much with the way you taught math. But you have the kids on the carpet, shoulder to shoulder, and you always use manipulatives. So you can't have them shoulder to shoulder. You can't use manipulatives. Well, they
1: they can't share them. So I guess if I make sure that I bag them and they have their own bag to use
0: every day, that's the only way I can
1: do it, which I probably will do that.
0: Do you think that? Because a lot of times I didn't have enough of things for every kid they would have to share. So do you think that the, that maybe you'll be able to get more and not using your own money? I I think
1: we may be able to. I, I'm hopeful. Okay. For most things, I think I have enough. But um, some things like fraction strips that I really like using, I may need a few more. Yes. But for the most part, I think like we use tiles a lot when we start doing uh, multiplication because we create arrays with them. And uh, I think I have enough of them to give each child like a baggie full. So,
0: yeah, yeah, it's, it's going to require a lot of ingenuity on each teacher's part.
1: And that's where the collaboration comes in because talking to others will help you figure out, Oh, I was doing it this way, but that's way better. you're doing it down the hall. So that collaboration piece is going to be more important this year than ever, even if it's from six yeah. feet away. you'll <laughs> have. And maybe the, I don't know, maybe there's things available even online that you could use as manipulatives because they're going to each have their own device. So that's something else to be researched.
0: Well, and I, you know, it's so hard and I know you and I feel the same way about this, especially with elementary school kids. I hate to have them on the screen too much. Like, I, I'm so conscious of that as a teacher, and I know that you are, but we might not be able to get away from it right now.
1: Well, and I sort of feel like, especially in the beginning of the year, I have to set up my expectations of what I expect from them, from Google Classroom or from Padlet or for anything that we're doing, because if I we do go to distance learning again, like last year, I want it to be clear in their head, this is what I expect. This is what I'm looking yeah. for. So... I feel like we have to. We're going to be on the on Google Classroom almost from day one.
0: Yeah, I think you're going to have to be. See a way around it. No. So no. It's a really. Um, and it makes my head hurt. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it definitely makes my head hurt. I think so it's just one day than, at a you time. Know, we, you
1: know, you just have to take it one day at a time. See what comes. Do your best, which yeah. is what we can never do anyway.
0: What are you, you know, apart from the figuring out how to sort of connect with the students with this physical distance and the masks, is there anything else that's sort of concerning you the most? Yeah,
1: well, probably what concerns me the most is the idea of being back in the classroom, being around a lot of people. And then trying to spend time with my 94-year-old dad, because Mm -hmm. I think I'm going to be afraid to go visit him now. He lives maybe a three-minute walk away from my house to his house, and I usually see him every day. And I know that I can do that when I'm back in school, and that concerns me. So
0: Yeah. And I I mean, he... You moved, he moved from Long Island just to be near you.
1: To be near me and And my brother brother. and me. He lives in my brother's house. So, and the idea of not seeing my brother every day as well. Right. That breaks my heart.
0: Well, and that's what gets me so frustrated when people say, well, kids are, you know, much less likely to get it. And you're like, yeah, but they're not the only ones in the building. And then they have to go home to their families. And their grandparents. A lot of times their grandparents are their caregivers after school. And
1: it's a death sentence for a lot of older people. Yeah. yeah, So that concerns me. That's probably my biggest personal concern: is that that either I won't be able to see my father, and then I'm a not seeing my father, but most I'm not supporting my brother Right. You right. Can't do that. So that concerns me a lot um, on a personal level.
0: What What do you think that you're going to do? I mean, you're you're so good at at doing the things that you know keep you in healthy and, and well and balanced, but what do you think you're going to do going into this school year to really maintain that?
1: Well, the one thing I'll never give up, well, I, unless I break my ankle again, I don't give up is walking my dog every morning. Cause that really helps me. Um, it just sets my da- It sets my day. I need that quiet time. I need that exercise and I need to be outside. So that's, yeah. I, I will obviously continue to do that. The other thing I learned during this, this crisis i've always been kind of a gym rat and um mm-hmm. i don't really need the gym there's so many good things on youtube i've been doing yoga on youtube and um weightlifting on youtube i have a couple of different ones i use so i'm definitely going to try to continue that because i also feel like coming home at night and doing something like that helps keep me grounded
0: yeah yeah,
1: yeah. other That's than that cool. the biggest thing is to just you know, I'm. I'm pretty, I would describe myself as a pretty spiritual or religious person. And I just have to maintain mm-hmm. my faith that everything is as it should be. And that all will be well. Yeah. So I have to believe that and I will, I will use my faith to help me get there.
0: Yeah, I, I really admire that in you. And I, I feel like when you I feel like it was the year that we, one of the years we worked together, that you really got consistent about going to Mass in the morning. Uh, because yeah. those
1: classes was the, the two years that you, that you really worked with me. The year you did your student teaching and the following year when you filled in for me were two very tough years. And um, yeah. I remember just thinking, I need help to get through the day because I'm not being the best version mm-hmm. of myself. And I found that by going to Mass. And it's just 20, 25 minutes in the morning, but it just, again, like that morning walk sets the tone for me. So, yeah. So that's helped a lot. And I, I'm pretty consistent with that as well. Very rarely do I miss um, a weekday mass.
0: And, you know, you talked a lot about sort of collaboration with your teachers. You know better than anyone the stress level of your colleagues. Are you concerned about how some of them? are going to fare, you know, just their own mental health? Because I think a lot of times it's overlooked by society. I think it
1: is too. I, you know, I think with my immediate, because this year it will just be two third grades. So with my immediate colleague, I think we play well off each other. Um, mm-hmm. So I think, I think Jill's really good at talking me down when I start to get a little blah and shh, And I think I'm good for her <laughs> as well. we so will be okay as a team. Um, but yeah, you do sometimes see other colleagues in the building and you know, it, you need to take time for your friends in the building, and if they're stressing, you have to have time for them, and let them get it out, talk about it, or for whatever advice you can, because you're right, people are going to be stressed. And everybody has so much going on in their own lives. You know, older parents, younger, very young children, just a lot of things other than our jobs that are adding stress. So, right, So, you just have to you really okay. have to be cognizant of the fact that some sometimes that planning period that you had fifty things to do you're going to get nothing done because you need to sit and talk with somebody who's stressed and just needs to vent or needs advice yeah. or
0: and the thing about the, about teaching is that that a lot of people don't understand and but you mentioned it at the beginning that you're you're on stage all day and no matter what you're dealing with, and we're all dealing with something because we're human, you have to pretend you're not. And that's really hard to do day in and day out. I mean, I remember walking by classrooms and seeing a teacher cry during their prep period, you know, and just trying to get that few minutes to break down. (laughs) And then you try to pull it together before the kids come back. And that's not that unusual. No. No, I've had days that I've, uh, I've cried the whole way into work,
1: <laughs> the whole drive in. Yeah. And I go, I got to get it together before I walk in that classroom.
0: Yeah. I have a friend who um, told me that she had been sitting in her car crying in the parking lot every morning before she could walk into work. And she would just have to ask herself, can I do this again? can I walk in that building again? And this is (laughs) pre-pandemic. I mean, it's, I don't think people realize the, what is asked of you as a teacher every day. I
1: don't think people understand the depth of our emotion or our commitment to our students. I don't think Mm -hmm. people necessarily get that, that, that for that nine or 10 months that they're my students, they are, I think about them constantly. I worry about them. I worry if they have enough to eat, if they're warm enough when they go home at night, if they're, you know, if they're going to have a good Christmas, like I think about them all the time. And um, and then my main concern for that 10 months, they're like my babies. And you continue to think about them after they leave you. But that group that's in front of you, they, they're everything to you. And they, it breaks your heart if you think you're not doing what you need to do for them. And if you think you're not there for them a hundred percent. So it's a lot, it's emotionally a very draining um, sort of job.
0: Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I always thought that, but until I did it, I didn't fully get it. You know, I didn't fully get everything that went into it and how you really do have to be a superhero to do it well. Because it's not even easy to be a bad teacher. <laughs> you know, there's still so many demands, even if you're not giving it your all. So if you are giving it your all, um, you know, by Friday night, there's nothing left. It's true. The, thinking about kids and thinking about childhood, take me back to when you were a kid. What were you most curious about when you were a kid?
1: So I had a little forewarning that I would get this question. And the first time I heard you ask it, I thought, wow, that's a really tough question. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I could have answered it well if I was on your first podcast, but I really thought about it a lot since I heard it. And I thought, I've always been fascinated by people. And I think that led me yeah. to um, to my love of history, because you wonder why people did yeah. the things they did. and." my love of reading because there's stories about people and the things they do. So, so I think I've always, I've always been a reader and I've always been fascinated. I like to people watch, like I just, I love to talk to people. I I talk to everybody. Um, So I, I think I've always been pretty fascinated and curious about history and people. And then growing up Catholic and going to a Catholic elementary school, I've always been interested, even at a young age, I remember thinking about why people do bad things versus good. So why do uh-huh. people, you know, it seems like it's pretty clear that you can be a good person, not, or at least be a decent person. Just don't kill anybody and be nice, you know, but why do people choose not to do that? So that's sort of good versus evil or, uh, you know, how do you manage your life but keep your faith? So those are things I was curious about even as a kid, and they've kind of continued throughout my life.
0: I love that you say that, though, because I think when you become an adult, it's easy to think that kids don't have those deep thoughts. And I know that, you know, myself as a kid, I definitely did. You know, I thought about big things and had big worries, just like our students do. And I think it's very easy to forget that. And it's easy to think
1: they're what what children are worrying about are minor things, but they're not minor to them. They might be problems that we could easily solve, but it's not something maybe that they could easily solve. So your job, really, as an educator or a parent, is to teach them how to solve the problem, not necessarily to solve them for for them. And that's that's not always easy because you just you want to just protect the kids, you know, you want to just make it easy for them.
0: Yeah. But that's the difference between a parent and a teacher that prepares kids to stand on their own as a parent or teacher that sort of cripples them (laughs) to always need somebody to uh, make the decisions for them.
1: I had two girls this year that they were best friends when the school year started or they seemed to be. And as the, the year went on, they weren't. And one of the girls was very upset about it. Well, I couldn't solve that problem. So what I did was I had them come to lunch and I just had them I just started the conversation. I helped them start the conversation about what was going on yeah. with their friendship. And one of the moms, maybe both of them, but definitely one of the moms called me and thanked me because she said her daughter was feeling a lot better about the relationship, the girls were getting along better. I don't know what sparked it and I don't necessarily know what, you know, ended this little dispute. But I knew I couldn't solve it. I could help. Yeah. But I couldn't solve it. I think that's what, I think that's a hard lesson to learn. Um, probably really hard as a parent.
0: But you gave the, them the container to have that conversation. And that's yet another thing that teachers do. You know, I, I think about one of my students that I had at, at at earlier point in the year, I could tell right away that she was really bright. But she was really determined to act like she didn't care. <laughs> and she was a bit sassy with me for no particular reason. And I just called her on it. <laughs> like in a, in a one-to-one meeting, I said, you know, I'm looking at your test scores and I'm seeing the way you do things in class things aren't meshing. So I was like, I just want you to know that I know that you've got a whole lot of stuff that you're not showing me. (laughs) And she was like, okay. And she didn't really say anything. And then conference time came around and her mom said, I don't know what you said to my daughter. And I was like, oh shit. Uh, yeah," (laughs) (laughs) And... (laughs) Because I I'd never met this mom before. And she was like, well, it got through. And I was like, really? And she said, I'm seeing a huge difference with her at home. And she's, and I said, well, I'm seeing a difference with her here too. <clears throat> and she said, you know, out of our kids, she was the always, the one we didn't have to worry about. And so she's like, I think we kind of let her skate by and just that was enough. But the fact that you saw something in her that she thought I don't know, maybe didn't matter or something, it it made all the difference. And then all of a sudden she was just she was just showing up to her life in a way that was different. And yeah, but it's you don't know as a teacher, you don't always know where these conversations are going to lead. You don't always know if you're saying the right thing, but you have to see the child or see the friendship, you know, see the dynamic and then give them the space to, to solve it or look at it, reflect on it, whatever. And that's not always easy to do. Uh, The other thing I think you have
1: to do that this was learned for me is trust yourself. So, I had said in the beginning, I was so amazed that you chose me as your cooperating teacher, but it, it took me a long time to come to the realization that I'm not like the other teachers in my building. We're all different, but I am offering each child something that no one else can, which is myself. And I have to, I like to believe that the kids that are placed in my class at any particular year are there for a reason. They're there for, because for some reason that this child needs this teacher. I really like to believe that. And so with that thought process in my head, I always think, what do I need to give this child? Yeah. So I think thinking that way really helps when you're dealing with those kids that are challenging, the kids we say are challenging, or the little girl you just mm-hmm. talked about that. You have, you have to look into them and see what does this child need that right now I'm not providing, but I know I can because there's a reason they're in this room yeah. with me. So.
0: And I really do, like, I, I felt that from you as a teacher, you know, you were, you are pretty no nonsense. Like they know exactly where the boundaries are, but then you layer this like love into everything. Because I do love that. Well, I,
1: I think, I, I know I always made my sister very upset with me when I would compare my dog to her children as she was raising her sons, but there's a lot to be said about it. If you're able to a decent dog there's a lot of the same skills I know dogs are much easier than children believe me you cannot lock your dog (laughs) your child in the house and go out there and be cool with that right but but there are a lot of the same skills and that providing that structure and that sense that they're loved no matter what but there are boundaries and there are things you need to do to be safe I think is similar so
0: yeah and they that's why I think kids always feel safe in your class because they know exactly what they need to do, what's expected of them, and that if they screw up, you're still going to love them, but you're also not going to accept poor choices.
1: Yeah. I'm going to call them on it. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. You always call them on it. So what about now? What would you say you're most curious in this moment about?
1: So much, Kate, but really my biggest thing, my biggest curiosity and my biggest hope slash fear is where our country is going. That is what I think about so much. And I am so hopeful that this era of Trump will end soon.
0: Oh God, you and me both. They get out and vote
1: and get this guy the heck out of the White House because he is a disaster.
0: That was very diplomatic of you. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's not the word you want to use. <laughs> I wanted to put something before
1: disaster. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm also wondering
1: how we are going to go from Black Lives Matter as being a great slogan to being the way this country is.
0: Yeah.
1: How are we going to take that from being, how are we going to take all this, this momentum we have and really make that change in our country where black lives matter. For real, not just a slogan, not just a t-shirt, not just the occasional rally. How are we going to change our country fundamentally to get us there? Because when I walk into that classroom in August, those kids that are brown and black and white looking back at me, I love them all. I'm not thinking I got to do more for this kid because he's white and he's going to go further. And I'm not looking at my black and brown kids thinking, yeah, they're equally important to me. And every one of them needs to have the same chances and abilities and um, education. It has to be consistent. So how are we going to get there?
0: Well, part of it is having teachers like you that are going to do everything they can to make sure each kid in their class is getting what they need and deserve. And, you know, that's... (laughs) The education system is just one of the many systems that need um, that need people like you. <laughs> so we just have to hope that there's more people that have their heads on straight. Yeah, and that yeah,
1: you have to. My biggest thing and what I always tell—I know I told you—and I I know uh, since I worked with you as a, as a cooperating teacher, I did work with three more uh, student teachers because I loved it so much. <laughs> And I had to make sure I loved it, not because of you, but because I really liked doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I always tell them, the kids are what matter first. So when you walk in the room, you do what's right for those students. And then you'll be a good teacher if you're putting those children first.
0: Everything else has to come after that.
1: Yeah, but it's got to be all about the kids first, so... So if they come in and something's troubling them that's going on in the world, you got to take the time to address it because that's what's on their mind. Or if they come in and they've had difficulties at home and they need to talk to you, you have to make the time at some point in your day. And it might not be right at that moment. I've had times where I've had to say to children, I hear you. I understand you need me. I need 10 minutes to get your classmates situated. But you've got to make sure you have the time for those those
0: kids, they're not going to learn. Well, and I, you know, I remember being in, in a first grade classroom and the the conversation with these little first graders turned to race and their teacher, one of your colleagues, she stopped everything. And it was it, like, I, I brought tears to my eyes, the conversation that these kids were having. And at, in fact... It was our very difficult group. <laughs> it was when they were first graders. And they, the the profound comments that these little six-year-olds were making kind of broke my heart and also amazed me. And I said to their teacher at the end, that was amazing. And she said, yeah. And she said, sometimes you just have to stop the curriculum, right? And teach what needs to be taught in that moment. And I've I've seen you do the same thing time and time again.
1: That our our job really is to get these children ready to face the world. To get them ready to be socially a part of the world. So you can't do that by ignoring things that are on their mind.
0: No. Sometimes you have to put the agenda aside. Yep. Well, Eileen, I just want to thank you so much for being here I love teachers and I love you especially and everyone really needs to understand what's being asked of all of you right now so I hope that all of our listeners hug a teacher as soon as they safely can <laughs> <laughs> and maybe we can talk again once the school year gets rolling we'll have
1: to hit the Starbucks
0: oh yes <laughs> alright Eileen well, I will look forward to it take care Pete. Thanks so much for listening. Feel free to visit me at curiositycuredthecape.com and don't forget to subscribe. I really appreciate you being part of the conversation. Till next time.